Welcome to Mariner's Church Weekend Message Podcast, inspiring people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Discover your purpose and get connected by visiting marinerschurch.org or click the link in the show notes. Week three of Big Problems, Bigger God. And today you're gonna, you're gonna see real quickly that we're talking about the big problem of addiction. Augustine, an early church father, he wrote this chilling story about a good friend of his who wrestled with an addiction. His friend's name was Olypius, and Olypius was in Rome, and he struggled with the temptation of the, the gladiator games, which in that culture was very common. So it was a, a common cultural addiction. A bunch of people would go to it, but it was horrible. I mean, slaves were forced to fight one another to the death. Those who could afford to pay to go would then watch people die and finance the whole operation. It was savage. It just, image bearers of God treated each other horribly for jeering and cheering fans. So Ellipsis is in Rome and he is saying, I'm not going to the games. He has friends that are inviting him to go to these gladiator games. And Ellipsis says, no, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm not going, quit inviting me, that's savage, I'm not going. But he kept getting invited, Ellipsis did, Augustine's friend, kept getting invited to the game. So finally, he tells his friends, all right, I'm gonna go with you, but, but I'm, I'm just gonna go to be with you. I'm not gonna participate. In fact, I'm gonna go with my eyes closed. I'll be present with you in body, but I'll be absent in mind. So he's at the gladiator games. He's at a place he's promised he would never be. He's got his eyes closed. He hears the roar of the crowd, the, the noise of the crowd as two gladiators are fighting to the death right there in the Colosseum. And when he hears the noise of the crowd, it's so intoxicating. It tempts him so much, he can't keep his eyes closed. And he opens up his eyes to see these two gladiators killing one another. And Augustine writes this. He opened his eyes and he was struck with a deeper wound in his soul than the victim who he desired to see had been in his body. Thus he fell more miserably than the one whose fall had raised that mighty clamor, which had entered through his ears and unlocked his eyes to make way for the wounding and beating down of his soul. He was no longer <clears throat> the same man who came in but was one of the mob he came into, a true companion of those who had brought him thither. He looked, he shouted, he was excited, and he took away with him the madness that would stimulate him to come again, not only with those who first enticed him, but even without them, indeed dragging in others besides him. Ellipsis went from, I'm never going to the games, to I'm at the games, to I love this so much, I'm even gonna go by myself because I need more of this excitement in my life. Two, I'm gonna invite and bring other people to the games with me. He completely spiraled into an addiction that was acceptable in his culture. You see, in every culture, including where we are today, there are some addictions that are celebrated and there's some that are covered up that we are afraid to admit we have. 
But both types of addictions can lead to the wounding and the beating down of our souls, can rob our joy and steal who we really are. Ellipsis spiraled into this addiction, an addiction that was celebrated in his culture. So nobody looked badly upon Ellipsis for going to the gladiator games. It was normal. And in our culture, there's addictions that are also celebrated. The parent who's addicted to work, the workaholic, who then has the beating down and the wounding of his or her soul and the beating down and the wounding on the family that is neglected because of the workaholism, even though people applaud the grit and the work ethic. The entrepreneur who is applauded over and over again for the success that he pursues. This is a a common cultural addiction, success, success. And even though he knows the last three victories has not satisfied his soul, he's pushing for a fourth, hoping that this one will be different. The wounding and the beating down of the soul. The person who's addicted to money, who loves what's going on in his bank account or his portfolio, even though as it grows, the satisfaction in the soul doesn't grow, there's constantly a beating down and a wounding of the soul. These are common addictions in our culture, similar to the gladiator games, and that people applaud for them, but they don't quench us at all. And there's others, of course, you know, there's the addiction to our phones that hit us with a dope, uh, not a dope, with dopamine. There's addiction to shopping. There's addiction to online gaming, online gambling. There's addiction to fantasy football. I mean, some of you dudes are in eight leagues right now, hoping you can just win one of them. And all of these addictions are accepted in our culture. But then there's some that are whispered. There's some that we cover up the sexual addictions, the substance abuse addictions. Those who face those addictions, they aren't celebrated as much and they feel shame, but both addictions can wound us and hurt our souls. Have you spiraled? Do you ever in your life spiral deeper away from what God has for you? Do you ever spiral and find yourself doing things and saying things that you never thought you would? Ellipsis said, I won't even go to the games. And he becomes someone who brings others to the games. If Ellipsis lived in a a time when there were addiction experts, the addiction experts would say, hey, here's how addiction works in Ellipsis's life and my life and yours. There's first the initial use. So he goes to the games and he sees the gladiators fight. It's the initial use. It's the initial use of a substance. It's the first time someone looks at pornography. It's the initial use. And then there's abuse. And sometimes in addiction, we can even abuse good things, such as sex. It's a gift from God. We can abuse it. Food, a gift from God. We can abuse it. So there's the initial use and then that becomes where we start to abuse it and misuse it. And it takes this overarching priority in our life like it did with Ellipsis, where he's going by himself, where he's bringing other people. And then there's tolerance. Tolerance is when you first were satisfied by this thing and now you need more and more of it to get to the same level of satisfaction. So the excitement that Ellipsis felt in the Colosseum when he first saw the gladiators fight, 
He doesn't feel that same excitement the next time he goes. And so he has to go more and more to get to the same level of excitement. The same happens with substances, happens with success, happens with so many things in our life. We need more and more because we've built up this tolerance in our life. And then finally, addiction specialists say you get to the place of dependence where you need this to live. You need this in your life. This is the cycle or the process of addiction. And here's what's fascinating when you look at how addiction happens in somebody's life, the same or a similar process happens with sin, with us being addicted to something other than God, with us pursuing something other than Him. I wanna show you this real quickly in the book of Jeremiah. It's a passage in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter two. And God talks to His people about their addiction to things other than Him. So even in this text, you see a comparison between sin and addiction, that there's some character, there's some similarities here between our hearts going deeper and deeper away from God. And so it begins with an awe for something less than God. This is, this is how sin works in our lives. So it's similar to addiction, sin works this way. It starts not with an initial use, but with an awe for something less than God. This is what God tells his people in Jeremiah chapter two. Has a nation ever exchanged its gods? But they were not gods. Yet my people have exchanged their glory for useless idols. Be appalled at this, heavens. Be shocked and utterly desolated. This is the Lord's declaration. My people have committed a double evil. So number one, they've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And two, the second, the double evil, they've dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. So God says, heavens, be utterly shocked at what is happening because my people, instead of being in awe of me, they're in awe of things less than me. They've exchanged, they traded their glory for something less. So the glory is God. The word glory there in the original language we just read, it's the word kabod. It means weighty, heavy glory. Essentially, God, the fullness of who God is, the weight of who he is, and all of his glory, all of his love, all of his awesomeness, all of his majesty, all of his holiness and righteousness, all the characteristics of God are weighty. There's no one like him. And God says, my people have traded that, the magnificent God, for things that are less than God. And it's it's. Ridiculous, be utterly shocked, heavens, at what my people have done, that they actually have looked at things other than me, God says. They've given their all to things less than me. This should be shocking. It'd be like this. So imagine Golden State Warriors basketball team um, in the NBA offseason. Imagine if they traded the, the best shooter in the game, Steph Curry, for an eighth grader who they think is gonna be a great shooter one day all the fans would be shocked, would be utterly dismayed. How do you trade this for that? And this is what God is saying. When you give your all to something other than me, you've traded me for something less. He even says, you've traded me the fountain of living water, the one who can really satisfy you and quench you for a cracked cistern. You go there to be quenched. You go to the thing you are giving your all to to quench you and it can't quench you. 
what a foolish trade we make. So that's, that's, that's how sin first happens. We give our all to something else. But then a second thing takes place. We then become addicted to the thing that we give ourselves to. Look at verse 20 in the same chapter, Jeremiah chapter two. For long ago, I broke your yoke. I tore off your chains. So this is God saying, I, I rescued you, but you insisted I'll not serve. On every high hill and under every green tree, you lie down, you lay down like a prostitute. All right, so this is, this is not PG, this passage. This is not rated PG. Um, you want me to tell you the truth of what this passage means or you, you want me to chlorinate it? You want me to go straight up with you or you want me to chlorinate it? All right, I'm gonna go straight up. I'm gonna go straight up and tell you what's going on. So here's what God is telling his people. On every high hill, you act like a prostitute. What, is, what, is it, what does it mean? Well, on the high hills in ancient Israel is where God's people set up idols, statues made of wood and stone, where they would worship those statues instead of God. And God says, you are like a prostitute. You lay down on the high hill and you give yourself to other lovers. This is what he's saying. He said, you are a prostitute because you've become addicted to things other than me, always things less than me. Now, the language is so explicit and here's why. I really hope this sinks in. Because sometimes we can think that when we sin, when we walk away from God, that it is breaking the law of God. And it is, but it's not only breaking the law of God. Pastor Tim Keller said of this passage, that this passage teaches us that sin or finding our identity or being addicted to something other than God is also breaking the heart of God. This is not only breaking the law of God when we give our all to something else, we are breaking the heart of God. Here is God saying, I rescued you, but you were pursuing things other than me. You were lying down under trees for these idols like a prostitute. You are breaking my heart when you are addicted to something else. And we still break God's heart because he, he wants best for us. He wants best for you. And so when I wander away from him, and when you wander, wander away from him, it breaks his heart because he loves us so much. He wants us for him. He wants our affections for him, which is always best for us. So it starts with giving our all to something else. And then we, um, we get addicted to those things that we give our all to. And then lastly, you see, we're, we're abandoned in the end. Look at the end of Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 27. So you get addicted to something other than God. And this is what happens, God says. They say, to a tree, you are my father. This is verse 27. And to a stone, you gave birth to me. So that's the little G gods they're worshiping. Um, statues made of wood and stone. They say to a, a tree, you're my father. To a stone, you gave birth to me. How crazy does that sound? Um, you have turned their back to me and not... They have turned their back to me and not their face, yet in their time of disaster, they beg, rise up and save us. So we read this and we think, how crazy is that? That people give their affections, not to the glory, not to the glorious one God, but to wood and stone. But we do the same thing. I do the same thing. I've given my affections to things that he has created rather than the creator. 
And, and check this out. The thing about wood and stone is they aren't bad in and of themselves. They are actually created by God. Wood created by God. Stone created by God. What made this sinful wasn't that it was wood and stone, but was that God's people gathered wood and stone and made that the object of their affection and the object of their worship. And us too can take good things in our lives, a career, a relationship, a goal, a dream, our finances, whatever. We can take good things and make that the ultimate thing that we are addicted to. We can essentially say to those things, you're my father, you give me birth, you're the one that gives me life. How crazy is that? Because we know the longer we live, those things can never really quench us. But this is how we spiral. This is how we go down over and over again. And so how do you know How do you know when you are addicted to something? How do you know? How do you know when you're addicted to success? How do you know if you're addicted to a substance? How do you know if you're addicted to relationships? How do you know when you are addicted? How do you know if you've spiraled all the way down? If you've used the the psychologist language, if you've gone through the stages of addiction, if you use Jeremiah chapter two, which is really similar, where you have looked to other things to be the source of your life. How do you know? Three couples are at dinner. Here's how you know. There are six people at dinner. Two of them are addicted to alcohol. How do you know which two? Here's how you know. When the servers come to the table and say, we are so sorry, this never happens but we had some kind of freak accident in our wine cellar and we're gonna be unable to serve alcohol tonight at dinner. Four of the six around the table, imagine they can still have a great dinner, but two of the six, when the alcohol is taken away, cannot imagine how can we even have a dinner? I need this. I need this to have dinner tonight. I need this to function. How do you know when you are addicted? There's two people who've lost a relationship in their life. It's been painful and both of them are grieving. As we always do, it's normal to grieve when we lose a relationship. But one who's lost the relationship believes that while this is so, why this is, this is so sad, while this is sad for me, there is more for me in life because my identity is bigger than just being connected to this other person. But one of the two, as the relationship has been taken away, feels as if he or she has lost who they are. They cannot imagine even functioning. How do you know when you're addicted? How do you know? There's two business leaders. There's two business leaders. And for the last several quarters, both of them have had double-digit significant losses quarter over quarter. Things are not looking well at all in the company. And both wisely are pulling out all the stops, doing everything they can to right the ship. One of them, one of them is working hard, wants to bring his best to the business. But if he loses the business, he doesn't lose who he is. He loses a lot but he doesn't lose who he is. The other believes if this does not turn around, I don't even have anything to live for anymore. How do you know when you're addicted? You know when something is taken away from you. 
when the relationship is taken away, when the substance is taken away, when the job is taken away, that's when you know, that's when you know, when the success is taken away, that's when you know you have found your identity in something else other than him. This is how I learned. There was a season when I was in the business world where there was a lot of consecutive Ws, a lot of consecutive wins. And then there was a season that followed where it was some very challenging quarters. And in that season is when I knew I was finding my worth, my identity in the success. I was addicted to the success. I was essentially saying to the success, you're the one who made me. You've been my father. You're the one who gives me life. But here's what God said in Jeremiah chapter two, when things fall apart, those gods can't save you. They can't rescue you. The substance can't rescue you. The success can't rescue you. The relationships that are taken away can't rescue you. Only God is the one who sustains and gives life. And only he is the one who can rescue us. So what do we do? What do we do? We struggle with being addicted to other things. Some a substance, some something else. What do we do? There's two promises I wanna quickly show you in the scripture of where we can go, of how we can see God overcome for us. The first is in Hebrews chapter four, and we're gonna see that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way to life for you. The substance is not the way to life. Jesus is the way to joy. The career is not the way to joy. Jesus is the way. Look at Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is the great high priest. So earthly priest, they would go before God and offer sacrifices for the people. Jesus, the great high priest, he offers himself as the sacrifice. Earthly priest, they used to go into the temple to offer those sacrifices. Jesus has presented himself as the resurrected king in the heavenly realms. He is the great high priest, the one who conquered sin for us on the cross, but he's also a really good priest that you can go to because he knows you. He understands every struggle that you will ever have. He's been tempted in every single way that you've been tempted, but he has overcome. He is without sin. We can go to him because he knows our struggles, but also we can go to him because he's the conquering God who gives us grace in the middle of our struggles. Jesus is the way to life. Jesus is the way to joy. The substance does not deliver on joy. The savior delivers on joy. The success does not deliver on life. Jesus, our great savior and high priest, he is the way. He's the one who delivers for us on life. So he's the one who can give us the ability to conquer our struggles. He's the one who can sustain us and give us life. What happened to Olympias, the one who was addicted to the gladiator games? What happened to him? 
Well, Augustine kept writing about his friend. And though the stories seemed bleak, this guy went so far down the spiraling into addiction that he was bringing other people to the games. But notice the end of his story is really good. Augustine writes this. And yet from all this, with a most powerful and most merciful hand, (coughs) thou, God, didst pluck him and taught him not to rest his confidence in himself, but in thee. Oh, it's so good. Augustine said, even after all he went through, God, you and your mercy, you plucked him, you rescued him, and you taught him not to put confidence in himself, but to put confidence in you, the one who conquers. And Jesus indeed is the one who conquers. And in his grace, he plucks us from our addiction. He conquers. He's the conquering king. He conquered sin for us on the cross. He conquered death when he resurrected from the dead. He conquered our hearts when he made us his sons and his daughters. And he can conquer the addictions in our lives. He can conquer. And so we place our confidence in the one who conquers, not in our ability to overcome the struggles and the addictions in our lives. Now for some of us, and I know some of you, that you've wrestled with an addiction. And for some, in a moment, God has healed you as you entered into his presence. He has changed your heart. He has changed your desires. And you don't long for the things that you used to long for. Sometimes God works that way to help us overcome our addictions. Sometimes. But sometimes he works in a process in our lives. It took us a process to get addicted to something. And sometimes God heals immediately, but sometimes over time, we grow out of our addiction. Sometimes God works in a process, but in the process, he is with you. This conquering Jesus is with you as you go to therapy, as you go to counseling, as you are in a recovery group, he is with you. And I am so thankful for the recovery groups that we have here at at Mariner's Church. I know some some of you are thinking right now, man, this is a sermon on addiction. I thought you were gonna bruise up and go hard after those who struggle with the really bad addictions, but I feel like you're going after me, Eric, about success and material possessions. Go after them. Well, here's the reality. You're right. I am going harder after you if your addiction is success than if your addiction is a substance. Here's why. Because this is what I've seen. Those who have an addiction in our culture that has brought shame into their life, they already know that they've fallen short and that they they have missed out and they've made a mess of their lives and they're in the absolute perfect position to receive his grace. It's those of us who think we have it all figured out. It's those of us who think our addictions are good. It's those of us who say to wood and stone, you give me life. It's those of us who live that way. We're the ones who miss out on the grace of God. Those who understand they've made a mess of their lives they gloriously understand his goodness. I love our, the recovery groups at Mariners that I've spoken to. I feel so at home in those groups because it's, I'm around people who know the only way I get through tomorrow is because of the grace of God. They teach me so much because it's true for all of us. The only way we get through tomorrow is because the grace of Jesus. I love my time in our recovery groups because when I'm there, I'm reminded of what Jesus said, the one who is forgiven much loves much. Some of us have forgotten how much we've been forgiven because all of us who have met Jesus have been forgiven much, forgiven much. 
So all of us have struggles and we need Jesus to be the one who we look to, to conquer. He is the way, he's the way. In fact, Augustine understood. You may be thinking he wrote um, all these negative things about his friend and his addiction to the gladiator games, but even the great Augustine, this, this church father, he struggled with addiction. Augustine said his addiction was not a substance or even the gladiator games. His addiction was actually success, was knowledge, was being perceived by others as an intellectual. And one night, Augustine and some friends were walking the streets of Rome and they saw a guy who was addicted to the bottle. They saw a drunkard who was begging for money on the side of the road. And they actually had a philosophical conversation about the guy. And then Augustine realized after he went home that, man, I, I'm, just like, I'm just like that guy. That guy has given his life to the bottle and the bottle has not satisfied him. But I've given my life to my intellectual pursuits, to my desires for marriage. I've given my life to other things and those things haven't satisfied me. Then Augustine realized, man, the, the drunk beggar has it better than me because at least the drunk beggar has the alcohol to numb him from his pain. I am miserable. And so then Augustine wrote about his addiction. This is what Augustine said. I was still eagerly aspiring to honors, money, and marriage. And God, you did mock me. In pursuit of these ambitions, I endured the most bitter hardships in which you were being the more gracious, the less you would allow anything that was not you to grow sweet to me. Augustine said, God, the times that you did not let all of those other things quench me, you were being so good to me. It felt like you were mocking me, but you were being so good because those things not growing sweet to me then caused me to still be miserable in those things, which caused me to look to you and you're the ultimate one. And so today, if you're at the end of yourself, if the substance, if the success, if the relationship, if the pornography, if whatever it is in your life, if you're finally realizing that thing doesn't quench me, you are in a great spot today because God in his grace is being so good to you to not let that thing grow sweet to you. So you will look to Jesus. Jesus is the way. He's the way. He's the great high priest who's with you in the middle of your struggle. He knows your struggle. And if you will walk with him, he will give you power and grace to overcome. So number one, Jesus is the way. Here's the second promise. And I wanna hit this one really quickly. He also promises a way out. So Jesus is the way and he promises a way out. Jesus is the way and he promises a way out. So you may feel like you don't have a way out from the addiction in your life. You have, Jesus promises a way out. Notice what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10. The Bible reads, no Tim, I'm sorry, verse 12. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. So if you're like, man, this message isn't for me. Oh, it's really for you. Because all of us need God's grace. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out. So Jesus is the way and he gives a way out so that you may be able to bear it, bear the temptation. So then my dear friends, flee from idolatry, flee from giving your heart to anything else. Jesus is the way and Jesus gives you a way out. My daughter, Evie, loves escape rooms, loves them. 
She has gone to 19 escape rooms, designed an escape room at our home for her friends. She might be addicted to escape rooms. We might need an intervention this week. She loves escape rooms. Now, if you've been to an escape room, you know you in your intellect and your grit and your work ethic in the room, you have an hour to escape. You have to figure out the way out. You have to escape. Not at all what Jesus is saying in the scripture. He is saying, if you will look to him, he gives you the way out. You don't have to figure the way out. He's not giving you a code to decode. He's not constructing this elaborate escape room for you to figure out how to get out of. He wants to give you a way out. Jesus is the way and Jesus gives a way out. What would this week be like for you? As you struggle in your life, if you view Jesus as the way and the one who gives you a way out. If you're tempted tomorrow at work to find your worth and success to say, no, Jesus, you're the way for my joy. Give me a way out to understand what life's all about. If you struggle with a substance, Jesus, you're my joy. The substance is not my joy. And I need you to give me a way out. And maybe the way out for you, often I will say the way out for you is not when you get to the bar to ask God to give you the way out, but to ask God for the way out to not even find yourself at the bar, to be wise as you look for God to give you the way out. Jesus is the way, and Jesus gives you a way out. Jesus is life and joy. The other things all fall short. All right, extend your hands, please, and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week, that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them. Cause your face to shine on them, I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can click the link in the show notes or download the Mariner's app at your favorite app store. If you've been navigating God's wisdom with us through this year's annual read and would like to hear personal reflections from pastors in your community, check out the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that will change your life. If you haven't picked up the annual read yet, visit marinerschurch.org or download the Mariners app for more information on where to find it.